This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Jay Severin. On today's show, we're talking about the madness that we are calling the presidential elections. Can Trump be stopped? And how come his supporters seem to follow him no matter what? This is all coming up right now. Welcome back. Charlie Harari filling in for Jay Severin here. Honored to be with you right now on the Jay Severin Show. So much to talk about. What a day. It's Tuesday, which means it's another primary. You know, I got to tell you, growing up, every time March came around, as a kid growing up in the sports fanatical world, I am a complete sports fanatic. And every time my calendar turned from February to March, I got this little like excitement, you know, because March means March Madness. And for anybody who's a fan, you know, there's nothing better than March Madness. March Madness is, for those who don't know, this NCAA Division I men's basketball competition where schools from all over the world compete. It's not even just the tournament that takes place at the end of the month, but getting into the tournament and who gets it, who doesn't get it. Every night, there's some college playing each other that you've never heard of where some guy hits a buzzer beater. The place goes crazy. The fans fly through the field. It's unbelievable. And they go just to play in this 64 team tournament that anyone could win cinderella's take it to the end it's just non-stop unbelievableness it makes sports which is typically a little more stodgy a little more like you know who's gonna win playoffs are sort of predictable games outside the super bowl are sort of you know in series which allows the real incumbent the better team to win and it turns it on its head and now you don't know what's gonna happen and you also don't know whether or not if the team wins that you know, if one team wins, if it's good or bad for the team you want, right? Because later on, they want to play them in the future. You have no idea how all the pieces move. So you got to almost like if you have a team in the game, you got a team in the tournament that you're going for. If you're from one of these colleges, you just sort of like got to just focus on the game at hand and hope that God plays chess and takes your team to the championship. Now, usually, March is madness for sports, but we get to experience the same level of madness when it comes to picking our presidents. The stakes are incredibly higher, although I got to tell you, one thing that I have been feeling a little better about this process, not sure if Trump can possibly win, but even if he does, and we still have to sleep at night, or I have to sleep at night, I have a little comfort knowing that our founders prepared for this. You know, the brilliance of the system called America, the, the absolute brilliance of our founders was that they built a system that would allow us to be protected against a one person that is becoming the president and not taking the system off the rails 
It's an amazing thing. The checks and balances that they put in were designed to make sure that whoever becomes president doesn't have the central amount of power. Can you imagine if Barack Obama had more power than he has? I mean, he's already using whatever he's got to do whatever he wants. But should it not have been for Congress? Should it not have been for the Supreme Court? He would just be off. He'd be just doing whatever he wants. And so this presidential election is incredibly important. I do not mean to downplay it in the slightest. But I just as we're going through this and I'm watching Donald Trump lead rallies where he just has people sort of raise their hand. And I don't even want to say it looks like what it looks like. For those of you who could you seeing what's going on, the high, and I don't even want to go there. And you see a guy like Trump that nobody expects to be winning is winning. You got to, for a moment, just just stop what you're doing and thank the founders for building a country that factored in some demagogue coming in along the way and promising things that they'll never deliver on and getting lots of people to believe them and then ultimately maybe taking a shot at the White House. And if that should happen, or how about a president that actually made promises he couldn't deliver on a couple of years ago and did whatever he wanted in that way. But should that these things happen, we still do have a certain layer of protection. And we keep on making fun of government like it's inefficient. I got to tell you something. The inefficiency in government is the reason why we're not being sort of swayed back and forth by the whims of whoever becomes president. There's a lot of brilliance that we're seeing now in our lifetime in this system. And so even though it is a little inefficient, yeah, and even though you got to get everybody to agree and you can't just sort of say we want to do this, this isn't a company, which Donald Trump is going to have to learn very quickly. I think the moment that really stuck out for me in the last debate, not just the fact that he opened it up by explaining if anybody had ever any doubts about his size as if that would be worthy of the first thing out of his mouth. But at some point, the question came in as, you know, he was, you know, advocating to doing for doing things against terrorism that would violate basic international law. And his the question was, what happens if the military doesn't go along with it? And his response was, what do you mean? Because <laughs> I said so. And they're like, no, no, what happens if they don't like listen to you? They're like, <laughs> he's like, look, like, what are you what are you talking? About? I'm the president. Like, I'm the head of the company. Like, I, what they get fired. I don't know. You're fired. Isn't that my trademark? And I don't think he even fully appreciates this. And I think we need to fully appreciate this. The, the opportunity to live in a country that protects itself against one person by its own constitution is just a matter of just unbelievable work done years, years, years ahead of its time. And now we're entering into today's primaries, and you've got some big ones coming up today. We've got Michigan, Mississippi, Idaho, and Hawaii and we've got to make sure that Ted Cruz pulls as far as he can here. I don't think that um, Rubio's really got much money. I think Kasich is really pulling a little bit higher here. But, you know, it's really going to be a question of whether or not Ted Cruz can pull a lot closer. The good news for Ted Cruz is that Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant threw his support behind him uh, last night, which hopefully will help him in Mississippi. Now, the reason why this is so important is because Donald Trump is ahead about 84 delegates from Cruz, 384 to 300. And these primaries are not winner-take-all primaries. These primaries are, um, once you cross the threshold of 15%, you get to be able basically take delegates in proportion to the votes that you're getting. And so even if Donald Trump wins them, should Ted Cruz come real close, which is what we saw in the recent primaries, and I think what we're seeing in general now. And the question is, do we have enough time to sort of see this play out? But I think what we're all seeing here is, Donald Trump 
keeping a certain ceiling of support, and we're sort of looking and going, wait a second, is that all he can get? He's polling around 35 to 40 percent of every single primary that he comes into, but he really is never crossing the 50 percent threshold. And that's so important for us because basically it tells us that as these states continue to have their primaries, as we come out of March 15th and we have those two big Ohio-Florida primaries, we should be seeing, I hope, if people can just sort of realize that they're, you know, they had to step out of line a little bit. Uh, if we go one-on-one, it looks like almost anybody that goes one-on-one outside Kasich. It looks like Cruz or Rubio that goes one-on-one against Trump ultimately wins. And it's because he's only getting 35 to 40%, which is still shocking, but that's what he's getting. And so the goal for those of us that are hoping that we are that Trump is not the nominee, if you think Trump is the nominee, God bless you. Um, I'm not necessarily saying what you should and shouldn't think here. I'm just sort of bringing out a a strategy to the extent in which um, we want Trump not to be the nominee. Ted Cruz doesn't have to win them tonight. He just needs to get really, really, really close. And all we has to happen now, because if he's getting close, Trump is just not getting enough of his delegates to get to that magic number that he needs of 1237. And once you don't get the magic number of 1237, all bets are off. And this is called, you may have heard this before, a brokered convention, which we have not seen since 1976, which would be unbelievable. So today's primaries are super important. The bigger one, the biggest one is in Michigan, 59 delegates. And the hope is that Cruz is going to go neck and neck, if not win a couple of these, to slow down Donald Trump's uh, delegate count. But it really does all come down to what's going to be taking place March 15th, the Ohio and Florida primaries. And, you know, I think that the common sense that people are saying that our Cruz supporters is they want Rubio to lose if he drops out. But I don't know. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about why, when you do the math and figure it all out, you kind of, even if you're a Cruz supporter, you're kind of hoping that Marco Rubio takes it in Florida. Why would a Cruz supporter go for Marco Rubio and John Kasich? Well, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to figure out exactly what it takes to, Trump, to stop Trump and why Ted Cruz is uniquely positioned right now to not only be the front runner should Trump go down, but actually have momentum that he wouldn't have had otherwise. This is all coming up. You're listening to The Jay Severin Show. This is Charlie Harari, and you're on The Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. On The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. The Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jay Severin Show. Charlie Harari filling in for Jay. Listen to the Blaze Radio Network talking about what are the numbers that Trump needs to win and how does he be, how does he get stopped? And what are you playing for if you're not a Trump supporter? Well, if you are a Cruz supporter, um, you are playing for a brokered convention at this point. You're co- hoping that when you get to the convention, no one's going to have enough votes to win it all. 
And then once you're at the convention, the games change. Just to understand, brokered conventions mean that if you do not get enough delegates to clinch on the round, on the first round, you get to the convention, and then the delegates don't have to vote for who they have pledged to vote for. Now, with Rubio and, and Kasich gaining so much support, I mean, whatever so much, I mean, 15 12%, a guy like Cruz can get to the convention, and if they're anti-Trump, those other candidates, which sounds like compared to Rubio's rhetoric they are, most likely he'll get their delegates. And so you're hoping to get to the convention to live another day. It's unbelievable. This, in sports terminology, is... You got to go to overtime. That's the game. You got to score points, onside kick, get to overtime because in overtime they reset the clock and you got a shot at changing someone else's momentum. So here's what I'm thinking and I want to share with you today. Now, you would think that if you're a Cruz supporter that you should be hoping that Rubio fails in Florida. And I think that's actually what the Cruz camp is saying, that they're hoping that Rubio fails in Florida. But I don't think that's the right strategy. I think they should be hoping that Rubio wins. And here's why. Because until you get to Florida, every primary, for the most part, is split. What happens is you get votes in proportion to how many – you get delegates in proportion to how many votes you get. So if Cruz comes in and he's four or five or six percentage points behind Trump, he doesn't go home with nothing. He goes home with delegates. And this is why Trump isn't coming away, even though you get to see his face every night when he wins a primary. He's not getting all the delegates. Now – that changes in Florida and Ohio. Florida is a winner-take-all state, and so is Ohio. So right now you got Trump coming in on the horse. He's got to get through today. He goes into Florida and Ohio. Should he lose? Now remember, Florida's 99 delegates, and Ohio is 66 delegates. That's a lot of delegates as you're going in to later months in April and ultimately May and June to the, the convention in July. Should he get stopped? Marco Rubio beating Donald Trump in his home state isn't really so much momentum for Marco, right? It's almost like it's the other way. If he doesn't win, it's like, really, what are you doing here? Like, you should be winning him. Ted Cruz took his home state. You, we expect you. If you can't take your home state, then you get a big problem. We expect John Kasich, who's the governor, and Marco Rubio, maybe less he's the senator, we expect them. They've been there. They're, they're from there. They've been campaigning in that state before. He was a senator. He is expected to perform well in his home state. So should Marco Rubio win in Florida, he stops Trump, and ultimately, I don't think he get, he stays in the race, but he doesn't get such a big bump, I don't think. He just gets to stay alive. But that's fine, because everyone's going to be staying alive, drawing down from the Trump count, getting ultimately to the brokered convention later on in the year. And so I think that's really the, the right approach in order to, to support Rubio and Detroit. And that's, by the way, what, what Mitt Romney's doing. That's what Mitt Romney, by the way, who is not picked, although he is part of the establishment, so he could be more for Rubio than others. He has not necessarily came out and came behind one candidate. I think he's playing that game. He's playing the game of let's just not give Trump the delegates, get to the convention. Maybe he's hoping that they nominate him. Who knows? They can nominate anybody. Once The convention could be crazy. i got to tell you something. The last time we've seen this was 1976. For, for most people... That are under the age of like 40. You have no, I mean, this is the first time in our lives we have ever, ever seen something as exciting as this. And I got to tell you, I think the games are off. I think the whole of the bets are off with regards to Trump because you would think that even though Rubio has the momentum, he should be getting it. But it's not really the case because there is such an anti-Trump feeling amongst the establishment that I don't think there's even an establishment candidate anymore. I don't think if the establishment had a choice of Cruz or Hillary, they'd be picking Hillary. 
They're just all trying to stop Trump. And Cruz, I think, is positioned right now almost, I mean, not perfectly, he could be winning, almost as perfectly as possible because he won his home state. He is the closest thing as we have to a front runner outside Donald Trump. Should Marco Rubio lose, he'll drop out. But if he wins, Trump Cruz is still coasting right in front, allowing people to realize that if we really want to stop Trump, if that's really the goal of the establishment, which is much more important to them right now than picking one of their guys. It, it was once, let's pick one of our guys, but it's not like that anymore. I don't think the establishment is saying, okay, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I think they're having conventions and like pulling fire alarms and like, you know, waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweat and going like, what do I do? In fact, I read a report today saying that there are people from Washington saying that senators and congressmen, Republican senators and congressmen say off the record that if it's Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton, they're going to vote for, yeah, you guessed it, Hillary Clinton, which for a Republican is just unbelievable. But here it is. We're looking at ultimately the madness of madness. And whoever emerges from this that's not Trump is going to come out, I think, with enormous momentum on one condition. This is why it's so important that he loses Florida and Ohio if it's not really close. If Trump rolls in with 49 percent, you know, you know that that, you know, Chicago, Cleveland, where the convention is taking place, you know, that Cleveland has invested in thousands and thousands of pieces of riot gear like they're, they're they are literally gearing up for a battle this is march madness that is turning into the battle royale it's all happening with the presidential seal in the middle of it but if trump rolls in with 49 percent, i think it's gonna be very difficult but if he rolls in with 35 or 40 percent which is possible if he loses those two states on march 15th the game's going to change and you're going to see deals going on, and a, a front runner will emerge that is the non-Trump candidate. And I believe that the momentum that he will have, that he ultimately slayed Donald Trump, will carry him into a world where the establishment will, will just sort of breathe a sigh of relief and say, okay, we, 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 we survived the attack. This isn't Hillary Clinton. Let's just get behind. And all of the momentum that we're getting in this election. It's unbelievable. I don't even know if the Democrats are even still campaigning. I don't know. I think there was a debate with the Democrats last night. I'm not even sure because even when I saw it, I'm like, why would I watch that for? That is so unfun. The game has shifted to such an extent that um, right now all eyes on the Republicans, and that doesn't fare well for Hillary because Hillary isn't very likable. And if you're not going to see her, you're going to come back and remember her and not being very likable. But remember, that's the game. The game is to go one-on-one because in one-on-one matchups, Cruz beats Trump 54% to 41. That's an incredible number. Rubio actually beats Trump as well, just the margin is is smaller. But if you could just get to that one-on-one, stop the delegates and get him going, the whole game is going to change. But for me, I think when you think about this is – hoping and praying that you've got three guys in the room right now. And I, I, I'm hoping, and I know you're hoping for this too. I, I think what would be the most incredible moment of party unity for the Republicans is that if Rubio and or Kasich win Ohio, they don't give Trump those delegates. They look at the map and go, there's no way. And they somehow bow out. It won't happen because as soon as you invest in something, you think you're it. But it would be incredible. And it's just shocking right now to think about how three guys are pulling in 65, 70% of the vote everywhere they go. And they haven't yet been able to say to themselves, okay, let's get in a room. We all want to be president. It's awesome. I love it. Why would we want to be president? I want to be president. Who doesn't want to be president? But you know what? We are fighting each other and he's going to end up winning. And so what we're going to see in the next few weeks is an incredible, incredible amount of madness. And I'm hoping and praying 
that we're going to see the depths of a human personality. I'm hoping, I got to tell you, that we're going to see something real strong in the in the character of some of these candidates that they're not going to be thinking it's me or nothing. I'll bring the ship down with me. But they're going to do their part to recognize that there are three adults in the room. Maybe one is preferred to in your eyes. But I think that it's clear, at least amongst the, the political establishment, that Donald Trump isn't ready to be president. But why don't people know that? Why are people so behind him? What is the secret to Donald Trump's uniqueness? We're going to talk when we come back why people love him so much. You're listening to The Jay Severin Show. This is Charlie Harari, and this is The Blaze Radio Network. Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jay Severin Show. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Jay. Hope everyone's doing well. Happy primary Tuesday to you again. Big days today going up. Hopefully we'll get some votes in the favor that you want. And I got to tell you, life is incredible. And you can look at life and events and just see it for what it is. Or you can just peer a little bit deeper and see some of the most important lessons that are are right in front of our faces. And I think if you look at the world this way and you say to yourself, "Mm, what are the lessons that are really just right behind the curtains of everyday events? We find some things that we never would have seen otherwise. And I want to sort of go down a road with you right now and ask the question that everybody's asking, which is why is Donald Trump Teflon Don? Why is it that he can get up in front of a Republican national debate in front of 50 million people, make a comment about his anatomy and not be exited you know, right away. Why is it that he just, no matter what he could say, there seems to still be that 30, 40% of the people that are not only like, okay, I'll vote for him, but like going and showing up and you know, doing the pledge. And what, what is it that he has done that has taken the world by storm? And there's two principles that I believe very strongly in. One is that people are incredible, incredible. People aren't dumb, they're incredible. And when you go through the country and you meet people, you see incredible people. They'll do things for others. They'll stop. I remember nine, like yesterday, 9-11, New York is, has a reputation of being a little bit colder, a little bit more to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go through 9-11 once and you see the incredible depth of the human being, just how far you'll go for a stranger. You put your life at risk because that's the power of the human being. It's our God-given soul that is deep and smart and amazing. But at the same time, while our soul is incredible, our mind seems to be mostly irrational, right? That's how we live our lives. When the media is pumping stuff at us 24-7, we do things. That's why we eat things we shouldn't eat and say things we shouldn't say and you know, do habits that are only hurting us. That's why most of us, many of us, are living life. If you really look at our thinking, it's less than perfectly rational. It's okay. But sometimes when you can see it, you can sort of realize it. And what is it about people that are having them go after a guy like Donald Trump. And I think the answer is as follows. And I want to tell you just a story. I remember years ago, I was working for a law firm. My first job was as an attorney. I was working for one of these bigger uh, law firms, that, you know, the ones that work you 24-7 all the time. And I was so unhappy. 
And I wanted to, you know, be on, you know, the business side. I wanted to get involved in transactions. I wanted to get involved in deals. And I didn't get any of that. I was too busy, like, writing the documents till 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was, one time I was at a conference and I was, I met a guy and we were talking. He said to me, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So I told him, like, yeah, I'm in law, but I'm not really so happy. And, you know, I'd love to be on the other side of that. I'd love to be on the transaction side. I'd love to actually be the one buying the buildings, not the ones that are just writing the contracts. And here's a guy. And, you know, he called me a couple weeks later and he said to me, listen, what if I told you the following? And so he said, what? He goes, I may be able to ha- get into a huge amount of money. If you had all the money in the world, what would you do? Like, you know, in what business would you run? I'll never forget this. Like it was, like it was yesterday. It was like ten o'clock at night. I've been working all day, and I leaned back on my chair, and I just started giving him my wish list. Man, if I, if you had a huge amount of money to invest, I would start a company that does this. I would bring in my buddy. We would start it together. We would go here. We would go there. We would invest in this property and in that property. And he's listening and listening and listening. And he goes, you know what? I think everything that you're saying is, is great. If I get this money, I think we should start a company together. Now, when I hung up that phone, there was a piece of me that came alive that I hadn't felt since I started working. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Like There was this untapped piece of me that was going to touch the ideal. One guy was going to come in and just deal with all of my problems. He was going to support me, give me the money to start my company, Back me. I would. I don't have to worry about finding another job. I can just go roll right in to this incredible opportunity. We're going to make all this money together. It's going to be great and perfect. My white knight just showed up. And this guy hung up the phone, and as expected, for those of you who listen to the story, you know where this is going. He, you know, never, didn't call back the week later, and the week later, he calls me two weeks later and goes, "Listen, you know, I didn't get the money, but wondering if you can help me on something." And I go, oh, "Okay, I guess so." So I help him on this thing. And then he calls me and goes, well, I'm really working on the money and I have this idea to get it, but maybe you can help me do this. And the third time and fourth time, then I'm really telling myself, wait a second, did, could he get this money or is he just using me to get what he wants? But nah, I said to myself, it must be because I think he can get it. I think we're going to get there. Another year, I hear from him. I don't hear from him. Two years, I fly out to see him. He sits me down, takes me out to a fancy restaurant and goes, I think we're going to get it. I got the right guy, but I need this, 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 this from you. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do this, this. And every single year for three years, I just followed this guy, whatever he asked me to do. And every time I sort of like, sort of was like, maybe uh, he just sort of reminded me of our dreams. And that piece of me came up again, that like, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be that person comes up. And as it came to the forefront, my rational brain said, nah, don't worry about it. I'm sure he'll get it. And just, I kept on going. And then this is what happens. And by the way, for anyone who's married, this is such a good move to do early. I was away with my wife on vacation and he happened to have been not far away. And he says to me, I know you're here. I want to talk to you about something. Meet me at a restaurant. And I'm I literally on my last day of vacation with my wife, and I make her crazy. We cancel the plans. We go round, We go to a different part of the city that we're staying in. We go out to lunch with him, and we have to then catch the plane back. I totally ruined the last day of that vacation. And we're sitting there, and we're talking. He's doing the whole thing. We're in the car. And I turn to my wife, and I didn't even think of doing this. I go, honey, what do you think of him? And she's like, mm, I don't like him at all. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, he's not even telling you the truth. I said, what do you mean? Like, he, he goes, yeah, he's just playing to you. And she said it to me. And as she said it to me, I was like, holy cow, you're a million percent right. He's been playing me all this time. And I just couldn't see it. I mean, I I knew it, but I couldn't, I didn't want to believe it. 
You see, each and every one of us has something inside us called a, a mind. And that mind that we have doesn't take in everything that's given to it. It doesn't. There's so much stimuli around us. There's so much going on around us. We have so many things to process. Most of life is gray. We don't know if the person that walks in is happy or sad. We don't know. Most of the things that go on in our lives are complex. And what happens is our brain is so incredible that it actually creates like a filter. And it filters out stuff that you don't need to see and then allow stuff in that you do need to see. You ever like wonder like, you ever like wake up in the morning and like get to your desk at work and like think to yourself like, how did I even get here? You ever have that like, I woke up, I remember that, and I don't remember after, how did I get to my desk? You ever get that feeling where you're like, I don't know, ever get in a car and like, you know, end up being in your drive and being like, did I even drive? Like, where did my head go? And it's because your brain is able to take things that it sees in front of it. And if it knows where it's going and it's not really relevant, it just gets it out of the way. You're, you're processing it, but your conscious mind isn't processing it because it's called selective memory. Your brain is able to select certain things along the way in life so that it knows focus on this and not on this. Pay attention to this and not on this. When you're at your, de- your desk, if something isn't your problem, you don't even think about it. But if it is, it overwhelms you. If you're a fan of a team and you hear a score with two different teams, you may not even remember the score, but if it's your team, you'll focus on it. If you're driving and you know where to go already, your brain's like, nah, you don't need that. Select that out. Just focus on what's in front of you. And if there's a car that goes a little bit off, I'll I'll wake you up again. Life is really a game of selecting what you're going to pay attention to because you cannot pay attention to everything. It's impossible. You'll just shut down. And when you select what you're going to be paying attention to, the question you ask yourself is, well, why do I select one thing and not the other? What is it about our memory that will select one thing and leave the other ones out? Why was it that when my guy was calling me and had me sit for an hour and describe my dream, why was I selecting to believe him even though three years had passed and he didn't deliver on his promise? Why wasn't I just selecting to see a pattern of letting me down? Why? And the answer is because when somebody taps into that inner core of who you are, when somebody gives you something that allows you to find a piece of yourself that doesn't come out usually, you want it to be true so badly. You will do anything to make it true. When someone lets you tap in to a piece of yourself, one that you love or one that you don't, but a piece of yourself that is so important to you that you have your dreams and your aspirations. If somebody can solve your problems, if somebody shows up, and that's why, by the way, if somebody shows up and it's like, just like, you know, eh, you're like, you forget them, but if they come in and they're bold and they tell you, I'm going to save your life, I'm going to ride you on this white horse, being on the phone with that guy again and again, as he allowed me to think, even though I'm, I'm, I think I'm a smart guy, I've, I've said no to a million of people that I've done, but he allowed me to get to a place that I don't think I've gone to when I was sitting there in years. And just being for one moment, entertaining the possibility that somebody was going to allow me to achieve my dreams, put in my brain this filter. And this filter said to me, 
whatever he says you want to be true. Don't listen to that. Don't look at that. I know, I know, I know it's been weeks. I know he's only asking one way from you. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. Pay attention to this thing. Just erase that out. Select this. Why? Because I want it to be true so badly. When we come back, we're going to talk about just what Donald Trump is doing and why maybe, just maybe, the reason why he is winning so much is because what we're seeing is lots of people exercising selective memory. This is Charlie Harari. You're listening to The Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show. The Jay Severin Show. Charlie Harari here filling in for Jay. I uh, hope everyone's well. The Blaze Radio Network talking about selective memory and Donald Trump supporters. I love you if you're out there. I love you as a human being. I think the thinking is irrational. And I want to explain to you why it is. And I spoke last time before the break about the guy who, a buddy of mine, well, he's not a friend of mine, but an investor of mine who called and had me go through my dreams and aspirations to him only to ultimately take me down a road where he wasn't ever, I don't think, intending on delivering, but just allowing me to see and think that someone was going to save me and give me what I want, which, by the way, is always the worst way to think of life. No one's handing you your dreams. But just allowing me to touch that piece of myself caused me to selectively, basically cherry-pick all the clear indications that should have had me going for the races. And it wasn't until my wife met him and didn't have that bias that she see it clearly. And I think that's happening with the voters today. You know, people ask all the time, why is Donald Trump so bombastic? Like, why does he got to get up there and say the things? He say? Why does he got to say those things about the Mexicans? Why does he got to say the things about the Muslims? Why does he have to go out and be so? Why does he? The, the, he's not. Is he building a wall and making Mexico pay for it? You ever see one of his rallies? It's scary. I'm building a wall and they're paying for it. They're not paying for the wall. You think he's gonna? He's gonna tariff China, shut down the entire export import business? And, no, he's not doing it. Why is he doing that for? Because he's using the trick. You got to see it because it's incredible. I think it's not nice, but it's still brilliant. What he is doing is he is allowing himself to enable his voters to feel a part of themselves that they never felt before. He's going to come in and save the day. If immigration is pulling away the, the jobs, he's going to come in and just build a wall. Well, you don't have to think past that. He's just going to shut things down. If you worry about terrorism, he's going to just—he has a plan. He's going to say things that are so extreme, because he knows that the only way you get noticed is if you're extreme. Read the art of the deal. By the way, if you haven't read the art of the deal, you don't know Donald Trump. He says it directly. If you want to get noticed, you got to do things that are controversial, because it's not that you're ever going to be controversial. You think he's going to take a stand on immigration? Why else would he not want to release the New York Times tapes? What in the world would Donald Trump? Have to hide, Mr. I tell it like it is. It's because he told the New York Times probably, relax, I'm campaigning. We give and take afterwards. But what he's doing is he's allowing voters to find a piece of themselves, maybe a piece that they don't love, where they feel under attack. They feel no way up. They feel people don't get them. They've lost their jobs. They feel unsafe. They feel like America has lost its standing in the, in the larger global community. And as opposed to approaching it from a more balanced perspective, which is more realistic, he understands 
that realism isn't what's going to win elections. It's going to be when you can tap into something that you've never felt before. When I say things that are putting people down and you feel that way, if you feel upset, if I can stoke your fire, you, you'll touch a piece of yourself that you've never felt in any political election, and then you'll selectively hear what you're supposed to hear. That is exactly what's going on right now. No matter what he does at a debate, he doesn't lose. It's amazing. Why? Because it doesn't matter. There are undecideds that are being affected, but his core 35 40%, which if the other guys don't get their act together, is going to be enough to sweep him into victory. His core supporters have bought in to feeling something. They're not thinking something. They're feeling something. He's going to come in and save the day, and he's going to express himself in a way that brings out sometimes the worst part of yourself, but it brings something out that's deep inside. And as soon as he touches that emotion, you stop looking. You stop looking at all the signs. You stop asking the question. You don't do the math. Really? $11 trillion plus? The, how does that go? All right. Really? You're going to build a How's that going to Really? You can try it? Well, I don't, how's it going to Well, whatever. He'll just figure it out. You know why? Because he's rich and he must be you know, able to do stuff if you're rich, which is no logical basis in that at all whatsoever. But it's deeper than that. But if we actually look past it, we'll see that he really can't do that much. But you got to see it. When we come back, we're actually talking about one thing that I did learn from Donald Trump that is actually positive that Hillary needs to learn. This is the Jay Severin Show. You're listening to Charlie Harari filling in for Jay on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Jay. On Hour 2, we're going to be discussing what Hillary can learn from Trump and which country is finally standing up to Barack Obama. This is all coming up right now. Welcome to the Jay Chevron Show. Charlie Harari on filling in for Jay on the Blaze Radio Network talking about Donald Trump, the primaries, and the madness that we are going through to pick a presidential election. Spoke last hour about selective memory and how Donald Trump is able to tap into our emotions. And once you get your emotions tapped into, you really stop using your mind as much, which is why people are literally lining up around the block from him, even though deep down he hasn't really showed he can do much of what he says. And I think that's really his intention. Later on in the show, we're going to talk a little bit about why Trump is so effective, in addition, just how he communicates and why I think the Democrats, I mean, Bernie maybe, but Hillary isn't really getting the memo. And if she doesn't get the memo soon, I think the Democrats are going to have a much harder time. This should be, honestly, this this whole process should have been a lap, a complete lap around the block for the Democrats. I mean, Hillary should have sat this one out and got rested on her bye week and watched all the boys beat each other up and then just sort of pick up the pieces and sort of like, you know, net, cruise control to the White House. But it is not going to be the case because I think Hillary's missing a key ingredient that you're seeing on the Republican side. We're going to talk about it on the show. Before we get there, I want to give a shout out to a country 
that stood up to Barack Obama. This is a little bit less known for those of you who are following. You know that this week Israel actually said no to a White House invitation to meet Barack Obama. And I want to sort of go through that a little bit with you and just gives you a sense of what it feels like when you have the integrity to finally just stand up for yourself. All right, just what's happening right now is that in a few weeks, the APAC conference, the American-Israel Political Action Committee, the largest lobbying group for the support of Israel, is having their annual conference. And in almost every other conference, the keynote speaker, the center of the entire program is Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And the White House found out about it and invited Benjamin Netanyahu to come to the White House to meet with Barack Obama to try to reopen Mideast discussions while he was already in Washington for the conference. And then Israel sort of got back and said, well, you know, we were going to come, but now we're not going to come. We're going to video conference it. And the reason why we're not coming is because we don't want to get involved in elections and we don't want to be there during election season. Basically saying, no, thank you. The president invites you over to his house and you're saying, no, thank you. And the question is why? For those of you who have really been following what's going on, is that Barack Obama has, from the beginning of his presidency, basically took on himself to systematically demean the state of Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu. He said early on that we didn't like him. The first thing he did was basically go around to the region around him and not Israel. And throughout his entire term, but especially over the past few years, he has basically shut him out. During the Iranian process, if you're following the whole Iranian deal when the Republicans were trying so hard to shut down what is the worst deal in foreign policy American history, giving the Iranians the ability to get a nuclear bomb and relieving them of certain sanctions that will allow billions of dollars to flow into their economy, which they have already said that they are giving in part, they're going to give stipends to any Palestinians that will kill Israelis. So if you kill an Israeli, mother, motherland Iran's got your back with some money thanks to our good friend across the ocean, the United States of America. So that's just sort of how it works. And for those of you who are paying attention, you will know that in Tehran, just yesterday, on Tuesday, they have reportedly conducted multiple ballistic missile tests in the region that was a complete violation. <laughs> Can you believe it? Like, oh my gosh, Iran didn't keep its promise like who would have thought that the country that just kills people and you know is has basically said that the west is the devil and pledged to destroy israel <laughs> i just i can't believe that when they pick up their finger and they say scouts honor we just can't take them to the bank their word is not their bond oh my gosh like who would have thought well yeah everybody would have thought except for barack obama and his good 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 buddy john Kerry, and after getting the deal passed, it has been basically nothing but just complete and utter dismay. Now, what sitting presidents what, that have very few months left like to do is they like to play sort of like, what else can I put on my, on my, you know, my shelf, right? Like, what else is the world, right? It's just a place to put my trophies. So I tried to pass gun control. That didn't work. All right, so I'll just sort of do it in my executive action. And, uh, you know, Obama gets not working out, but well, I could put that on my shelf. What else can I do right now with my pen and just usurping the power that I'm supposed to be using in a sort of checks and balance process to actually just put more stuff? Oh, I got a good one. Why don't we take the most complex region in the world, one that we, America, used to be really on the side of democracy, and just sort of like jump in and see if within the next couple of months before I'm completely irrelevant, 
then I can sort of solve something. And this happened, by the way, this happened with Clinton. This happened with George W. Bush. And now Barack Obama is trying in his last few months to find that relevancy. So he says, hey, I got a good idea. Hey, Bibi, listen, I hear you're in town for a speech. Why don't you come by and we can solve the Middle East crisis? And Bibi Netanyahu usually would have been like, well, okay, you are America and you do, you have basically shut us out. You know, when I got reelected, Barack, you know, you didn't even pick up the phone to call and say, you know, congratulations, which usually, you know, two allies would do. And you basically just sort of undermine me in every single step. But, but I, I guess you are the world power and the region is resting on your shoulders, so I have no choice but to sort of put my head down and sort of like, you know, come in and go to Big Daddy. But here's the story, unfortunately. that Those days are over. It's a sad truth. A sad truth when the United States of America is not the greatest power in the region anymore. They've given up their control by not going after um, the Syrian president, by allowing Russia to step in. And now the world has changed. And I got to tell you. I give a lot of credit to Bibi Netanyahu to stare at the American president and say, no, I'm not coming. I'm not going to be your toy. I'm not, after, after demeaning me for all these years, I have a country run. You know, by the way, today in Israel, there was a terrorist attack. We didn't know about it because the media doesn't pick this up as much, but people died today. There was a, multiple stabbings. And the person who died today, believe it or not, was an American citizen. There was an American tourist today in Israel with his wife, 29-year-old guy, married, they got killed because the Palestinians just came in with a knife and just started stabbing people. And his wife is crit- in critical condition. And there's no mention of that in, in, any such, in any which way. And I think the point, at least that I took from it, is that at some point, you got to stand up for yourself. Not, not the way Donald Trump does it. Every time someone comes at him, he just makes fun of him. But, but the way that, that BB is doing it, I give him a lot of credit. Barack Obama still has the biggest stick in town. And Barack Obama has systematically tried to really, really undermined Israel. And like I said in the, in, the, in, in the first hour, in the last segment, you know, you got to read the signs a little bit and pull yourself out of it. And of course, what could be better than going to the president and taking pictures, doing all the nice things? But I think Bibi Netanyahu finally got the message that he's being played, that Barack Obama does not in any which way care about the safety and security of the state of Israel as it, unless it fits into his otherwise larger agenda. And he has emboldened Israel's enemies. And now... Towards the end of his career, he wants to make it like sort of as if he has become a peace broker. And finally, 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 Bibi had the ability and the strength and the courage and the integrity to stare him down and say, you're not important anymore. You're just not that important. You're not important as a president. You can't pass legislation anymore. No one's behind you. And by the way, I hate to break it to you. Unfortunately, your country, the greatest country in the world the power that was able to walk into any any region, and you basically you basically step back, and you lost your own power, and now the power is split to Russia and to other Gulf states, and you're just not what you used to be. And you know, I think each and every one of us has that in our lives. I think each and every one of us has that bully that has demeaned us and put us down, and you know that friend that's never really there for you. You know that friend that you call, and is never there for you. You know the one you're always there for, but doesn't seem to reciprocate. You know that person at work, or even maybe a family member, that takes you for granted, and that when you know they need to do something, they'll just roll over you. But then when they need you, they just seem to be in such a good mood. This happens sometimes in relationships. You may be in a relationship like that, by the way. You may be in a relationship where your significant other is just not interested, but then they get lonely. And guess what? The call comes in. They're like, can you please? And then like, oh, they love you again. And then they get less lonely. And then you go back and forth, you seesaw. I'm going to tell you, 
It takes a lot of courage to stare at someone and say, no, no, I'm not playing the game. I'm not going to be treated this way. Who I am is important, and I've got significance, and if you don't treat me with respect, I'm just going to bow out. I don't know where this goes for U.S. relations, but it's going to really play into who becomes the next president. But i got to tell you, it really does send a lot of what it means to, for Israel to be able to do what it does, and I give a shot-out, and it really take a lot from Bibi Netanyahu's decision, and I hope that each and every one of us in our lives can become to have that level of integrity. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, what she can learn from him to become the President of the United States. You're listening to The Jay Severin Show. This is Charlie Harari, and this is The Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show, only on The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show. Welcome back to the show. Charlie Harari here filling in for Jay. Having, hope everyone's having a great day. We're ha- what an amazing day today. Primary Tuesday talking about Donald Trump, talking about Bibi Netanyahu's snub on the White House, standing up for himself. Got an email in the break over here. And those who want to email me, you can. Charlie at charlieharari.com. Feel free. Love to get the emails. You can always follow me on Twitter as well. Email came in and asked, how do you know when it's too much? How do you know when you shouldn't be standing up for yourself when you got to give in? Great question, and i got to tell you, it reminds me of somebody else who just stood up for himself and basically committed, I think, political suicide because he just was a little bit too self-interested. You know, standing up for yourself is important when you're in the right, but you deep down know when it's about what's right and basically when it's about just you. You ever see they ever, like, new people like this where it's just all about them, 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 and they think they're standing up for themselves, but they're just so self-centered? There's a balance, and that's what life's really all about is knowing when it's integrity and knowing when it's just being egotistical. For sure, Bibi standing up for himself as a representative of Israel, and everyone in particular should be standing up for themselves where they're being wronged. But sometimes standing up for yourself, if it's just being self-centered or self-interested, doesn't really work. And I think the primary example here is someone who I was once a huge fan of, and that is Chris Christie. I got to tell you, I used to really like Chris Christie. And everyone in Jersey is like, nah, I don't like him. I'm like, really? The guy seems so real. Watch him on those debates. Even when he took down Marco, I was like, wow, I just... Every time he spoke, I just felt like this guy was just totally being straight. And then his true colors came out when he hit that wall and he just became Donald Trump's moose. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, when the guy goes hunting and he wins the moose and cuts off his head and puts him on the mantle. That's what Donald Trump did. It's unbelievable. He creates this, you know, he has the, the press conference at Super Tuesday and just puts, puts, he puts Christie behind him. Like, everybody, look what I got. Look what I just killed in the reservoir, yeah, he's from the establishment. He's one of us. It's amazing. And you'd think like, okay, you know, Chris, like, you know, go home, you know, suck it up. You made a mistake. Get back to work. But not. he won't do that. He won't do that. He won't. You know what he's going to do next? This is just great stuff. You know that, by the way, his approval rating in New Jersey has gone down to 27%. He's like in Obama territory now. And he's got six newspapers calling for his resignation. So then you know what he does? Right now, New Jersey is going through a potential strike, a transit strike which would literally shut down the, the, basically the third largest transit state and the third bus- busiest commuter railroad that's set to shut down on Sunday at 12.01 if New Jersey transit officials cannot reach a settlement with 11 labor unions. Now, this happened by us at Long Island Railroad, for those who live in New York, but you know Andrew Cuomo, the governor, stepped in because that's what governors do, right? They step in to deal 
with any major political issues that would shut down a train with millions of regular people going to get their jobs, like, right? Like, we have to work, the rest of us, right? We don't get flown around in helicopters and airplanes, unfortunately. And some of us work for a living, and if we don't get to work, we don't make the living, we don't pay our bills. So sort of really important, I think, as a state to get us to where we need to go. But Christie has said that it's really not the job of the governor to negotiate personally, and instead, he's actually going on vacation to a warmer client. Now, this happens to be a wedding anniversary, so congratulations to Chris for being married for that long, and that's wonderful. I don't know about you, but I've missed a couple of wedding anniversaries in my life for things that are important, and here is this incredibly important moment that's happening in New Jersey, and Chris Christie just isn't interested. And I think that really does create this balance that we have for the two of us, the two sides over here, which is when to stand up for yourself when it's right, and when to stand up for yourself when it's just sort of self-interested. And I think that's incredible. That's that's critically important because that's really the question that a lot of us have to go through. Some of us are just non-confrontationalist. And so even though we're getting stepped on, we just won't step up. And some of us are just always so self-focused that we're just always picking battles. You know that person in like the PTA that no matter what you do, there always is always an issue. And that's more of our irrational thinking going on. That's more of the irrational thinking that each and every one of us has that sort of stops us from being able to do what's right every single day. And one of the things at least I've gotten in my life in terms of trying to figure this out first is always having someone to talk to about it because that's the most important thing. If you don't have good counsel around that's able to help you and figure it out. But the second really thing, and this is the most important thing that most people do not do, is actually thinking about it. You know, that's great about us, that each and every one of us, like I said earlier in the show, is that I think we're all incredible. I do. I think that we are all built with this incredible, incredible soul. And each and every one of us has an enormous amount of knowledge that is resting underneath us. If we can just pull our heads out of the world that is buzzing and beeping everywhere we go, if we can just pull away from the iPhone for 10 seconds or more and spend the commute going home thinking, we will find that if we're really thoughtful, that lots and lots of the answers that we're looking for is right in front of us. And that ability to be a little bit more thoughtful requires us to sort of unplug a drop. And I was on the, the train the other day. I don't know if you had this experience. And I'm looking around on the train, and I, I, I think every single person, everyone, everyone from young to old, man, woman, race, this is this one thing that is no discrimination boundaries. Every single person was staring at a screen. And in the corner of my eye, I saw an older man, and he was just sort of like thinking, like he was in the corner of the subway and he was just like pondering. Like, you know, you see when someone's brain's working, he's not just spacing. And I'm just, I'm like, I sort of like panned the room, the pan, the car. And it's just like, you know, drone, 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 robot, 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 drone, 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 drone. And then I look over and see a guy. I'm like, wow, that must be incredible to be able to actually think, you know, it's amazing that there is a new study that just came out that binge watching Netflix house of cards is out. If you haven't seen it yet, you're really missing out. It's scary. Just how house of cards is, I don't know if it's reminiscent of certain things, but it's very, very, um, I, I find it to be amazing. But the study just came out saying that binge watching actually in, leads to an increased amount of depression and anxiety. So when you're going through your sixth episode in a row of House of Cards, it's actually hurting you. And science doesn't really figure out why, but I, I think the answer could be the same thing, that we all deep down have what to do in life. 
we all deep down have a life that we need to live. And when we distract ourselves so much, we end up not being able to make those right choices. We end up not knowing when to do this or that, when to vote for somebody that we should be voting for or not, when to stay in a job or leave a job, when to stand up for ourselves, or when we're being a little bit too selfish. All these things in life are decisions that will make us have a happier life. But when we distract ourselves always and forever, when we go home and all we're doing on the way home is distracting ourselves and then we get home and then all we're doing at home is distracting ourselves and then we wake up and then all we do on the way is to distract ourselves, what happens is our thinking becomes really, really surface. And when we get one of these decisions, when we have to make a move, who do I vote for? When we have to make a decision of, you know, what should I be doing here? Do I stay or do I go? We don't have the capacity to think deeper, to think critically. It's amazing. Binge watching leads to anxiety, but we all do it because the need to distract is so incredible, even though it has such horrible ramifications. If we do nothing else, you know, I once had a mentor teach me something, and I'll share this with you, and when we come back, we're going to speak a lot more about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and the elections here. But the device that I got is when you're in the car, don't turn on the radio. Think. It's amazing what happens when you practice your brain. This is Charlie Harari. This is the Jay Severin Show, the Blaze Radio Network. We're going to be back with Trump and Clinton and a whole lot more. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jay Severin Show. Charlie Rari filling in for Jay. Hope everyone's well. Tuesday, primaries, March Madness, talking about politics and Donald Trump and what's going to be going on today. And Bibi Netanyahu snubbing the White House, standing up for himself. But Christie going a little bit too far and thinking, thinking, I think, only really about himself. And how do you make that balance? And we spoke about a little bit about thinking, the power of thought and what that means in the world of distraction and binge-watching. Talking about... You know, when you think about Donald Trump, though, I got I to gotta pull a, light, a little bit of lining out of this cloud. That's what we got to do in life. You always got to pull some lining. And if someone is successful at anything, whether you agree with him or not, there's something there. Success has leaves clues. And what is it about Donald Trump that is resonating? Of course, it's, I think, selective memory and giving you a certain amount of feeling that, you know, may, may, may not even be right. But there's something there that he's getting. And I take a little bit of comfort in Trump's rising because it teaches me a lesson and I want to share with you. It's a lesson that your mom has told you. My mom has told me a million times. What is the first thing your mom says when you ever get into trouble? Right? You ever get in trouble in school like I did every day? And you're always like, you know, usually you get into trouble because you do something wrong and then you try to get out of it and you lie. And then you, you're constantly sort of like, you know, jumping around, right? And then you tie this little web around yourself. And whether it's with your friends or with the school, usually the thing that you did wrong growing up is less then the trouble you're in because post the action, you started spinning a web and you know, the web just goes and goes and goes and the, you know you never really stop. And you come home and like at, at some point you don't tell your mom and then 
at some point you just gets too far, right? And you, you're stuck in your room and you break down and your mom goes, what's the matter? And you tell her the whole thing. What does your mom tell you? I'll tell you what my mom told me. She says to me, Charlie, why don't you just be yourself? Just tell the truth. Just tell like it is. And the answer is either I don't know the answer, right? I don't know, right? I'm supposed to be doing something and I can't do it or I was wrong or I made a mistake or I did, I did this intentionally, whatever it is. And your mom always says to you and you're little, listen, just, just be you. Say you were wrong. Say you made a mistake. Say that this is how you feel. Just go out there and just be you. Now, your mom knows what she's talking about. Moms do sometimes. Because what your mom is teaching you is actually one of the most powerful messages of communication. You see, every one of us, we spoke about this earlier, has a connection to other people. And we feel things when they talk and they communicate to us. But what we have inside us as well are these neurons. They're called mirror neurons. And they mirror a little bit what someone else is going through. When you, when you speak to someone, there's a certain mirroring that takes place. That happens more importantly when you're in, in, in person, but it could also happen on a screen. And when someone comes at you and they're being themselves, they're being authentic, and they're wrong, right? They don't know the answer. They did the wrong thing. They hurt somebody. But they're being authentic. They're being themselves. There's a piece of you that feels like it's real. And that piece of you feels right. And so you're much easier, you're much quicker to forgive them, to trust them, even if they don't know, even if they were wrong. It's an amazing thing. Being yourself isn't just the right idea because it's ethically correct. Being yourself is the right idea because it is effective. It makes sense. You see somebody and your being you actually connects you at a deeper level. You build trust, even though you're wrong. You build trust, even though you were off. You build trust, even though you were malicious, you were, you were malicious, you were negligent, you did something that was unforgivable. And you will see people around you forgive you, stand behind you, give you 10, 15, 20 chances, care about you because you had the strength and the character to be the real you. That is an intangible that is unbelievable. Maybe what I can pull out of the Donald Trump campaign is that there's a piece of him. I don't think it's always there. I think he's playing us. But there are moments where he is just saying how he feels. He's saying, yeah, I'm going yeah, to do much worse than this, much worse than that. And we're like, oh, my gosh, can't we saying that? And I go, maybe, maybe we won't. And you can almost see him up there going, like, the guy has no idea what he's talking about. But at least he's being real. Right? He's, he has no idea. <laughs> like, he's making a statement about how we're going to be treating terrorist families. I don't think he has even thought this one through. But he is actually thinking through something in front of us. What I am seeing in parts, parts of it I think he's playing us, but in parts, what I am seeing is somebody share a feeling that is coming from a place that is really him. And that feeling of being real makes us feel different because we're used to seeing politicians that have perfect words and we don't know what they mean. They have everything scripted and we don't even know what they're talking about. And this, by the way, is the reason why the Democrats aren't cruising to the White House. If there was ever a year that the Democrats should be already cashing in on the party favors for the post-victory party in the White House, it should be this one. If there's ever a year where they should be picking out the carpet for the Oval Office, it's this one. This, this is like Paul Ryan should be calling him and talk about a broad agenda, which he has done to the candidates. The Democrats should be buying apartments all around the Beltway. But they're not. Why? 
they have a candidate with the best resume in the past 20 years running for president. I mean, Hillary Clinton is the best situated candidate we have seen. Look at her CV. It's incredible. She married a president. She was a senator, secretary of state. She knows Washington better than anybody in the world. If there's anyone that was auditioning to be president since she was six years old, it was Hillary Clinton. Why in the world can't she beat some upstart senator from Vermont who's too old out of style and has ideas that require 40 countries to support for even to work on one country. It's because Hillary has a problem being authentic. When the email scandal came out, people think that the email scandal is not a big deal. I don't know what the email scandal will ultimately do to Hillary. Will she be charged? Will she not be charged? That's completely not the point. The, the, the charging of her, uh, the, the, the actual criminal, the criminality of this case is irrelevant. What the email scandal has done is it reminds us that she's not honest, that she's playing us, that she's a politician. And when you see somebody like Bernie, who has really no idea how he's going to pay for anything, but is really honest, like he, I, I, I believe that's why he, his, his, his ideas make very little economic sense because he just feels these things you're moved which is why all these young people are going out of their minds and that's why i think to give him the credit even though i do not think he should be anywhere near an office that is oval i think if there's an oval office in the trump tower we should take it down and make it square donald trump has moments where you hear him and say hmm he's really just i guess just being him and there's this deep down part of us that wants so badly for someone to talk to us for real no more double talk. Just be straight with me. Tell me what I need to hear, even though it may not be what I want to hear. Hillary Clinton is just not getting that memo. She's not getting that. When you get up there and start skirting around an issue, when everybody knows that you did this for a reason, just get up there and be you. Get off the talking points. I remember hearing Hillary Clinton once. I went to, to she came to a, um, a lobbying thing that I was at for this organization. She's, she is the most polished politician you will ever meet in your life. She came in. She knew the organization. It, it wasn't a large organization. We just happened to have certain political you know, connections. She knew the heads of the organization. She knew how much they raised. She knew like she dropped these little things in along the way. People were like so impressed. And she just spoke about four or five points that someone handed her beforehand and said the right thing she said. And then she got up and left out. And everyone like, you know, walked out. And you felt like, wow, I was just toyed with, although she's the greatest sort of puppeteer ever but you don't feel any level of a connection. You know, in life, sometimes we are protecting ourselves because we're trying to look perfect. We're trying to come across as being so polished. We need to know everything. If you can learn anything from Donald Trump, it's that you don't need to know anything for have people behind you. When you come across sometimes as being real, you know, there are people that are married that aren't even real with each other. There are parents that think that they can't tell their kids, I don't know, or I tried and messed up, I'm sorry, I punished you for no reason, or I made a call that was wrong. There are people who think they can't tell their employees or their friends or their sisters or their brothers the real, the real that's within them. And they're making a huge mistake. Hillary Clinton thinks that she can't be real with her voters, and guess what? If we would have a decent, if there would be a totally different Republican process, we, we would be lapping it up because voters like people hate others that are not connected to them, that are not being real and authentic. And I got to tell you, 
Mitt Romney, I, I, I commend him for what he's doing. But even when he speaks, you're going, mm, really, Mitt? I don't know. I commend him. I think he's taking a stand. I like him. I, I think he's a good guy. But there's that politicianness, that speak. You know that speak when you hear it? You're like, really? I don't really know what you're saying. Did someone, when Marco Rubio says the, pre, the, the party of Reagan and Lincoln, the party of Reagan and Lincoln, the party of Reagan and Lincoln, seven times in a debate, in, a, in a, an interview, you're saying to yourself, whoa, 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 the first time I thought that was a great line. The eighth time? Did you memorize that? Mm, not real. And it rubs you the wrong way. And that's what, made, that's what builds elections, by the way. But I got to tell you better because you may not be running for president. But if you do, it'll be great. That's what builds families. That's what builds companies. That's what builds everything in life. It's our ability to look at other people and be a little bit more real than we think we should be. Because that's what they really want. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show, talk a little bit about taking care of yourself first before you take care of others, and talk about whatever else is going on here. You're listening to The Jay Severin Show. This is Charlie Harari. We'll be right back. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. Network. Welcome back to the Jay Severin Show. Charlie Rowry here, Primary Tuesday, talking about irrational thinking. Great people, but irrational thinking. We all are, in our way, great. We have it inside us, this incredible, incredible, incredible power that resides in each and every one of us. And the only thing we really need is to ensure the fact that our mind is rational, that our feelings don't take us over, that we think, and we think through things, and otherwise we get stuck in these messes and have selective memory and you know believe people that are selling us a bag of goods like I did and Vote for people that may not know where they're going and et cetera, et cetera. Think about ourselves. And the ability to think is really the key to it all. And sometimes thinking is so important that it makes us do things that are, is contrary to our feelings, which is okay. And I think if there's ever an example of that happening today, it's what's going on in the EU and the migrant crisis. You know, that just recently um, reports have shown that the EU has cut a deal with Turkey so Turkey can take in or take back much of the migrants who crossed into Europe um, these past bunch of months. And for those of you who were paying attention, you knew right away that it was when you're seeing millions of people marching into these towns, you're thinking to yourself, really, is this really going to work itself out? And it reminded me of a story of a little kid whose father was a really important guy, uh, you know, a, um, a, you know, I don't know, whatever, like whatever he is, a doctor, a lawyer, either way. And it's one of these tales that we tell each other, at least I was told when I first had kids. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's powerful where this little kid is, you know, so trying to call his daddy and his dad's like, I'm sorry, son, I got to take care of this. And the father comes home from work and he goes, daddy, daddy. And he's, I'm sorry, you know, I got to take care of the community. And he's, you know, it's getting late at night and he goes, daddy, daddy, I'm sorry, I got I to gotta watch this. And for days, the kid is just trying to get in front of his father. And finally, at the end of the week, the kid goes and walks into the living room and his father's on a conference call and he says, daddy, daddy. He goes, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And he goes, daddy, daddy. He goes, what? He goes, um, how much do you charge an hour? He says, what? He goes, I know that you're, you know, you're you know, financial, whatever you are. How much do you charge an hour? He says, uh, I don't know. I charge $1,000 an hour. And this little kid pulls out this little jar of pennies and he puts it on the table. and goes, daddy, I have, this is all the money that I have. It's 85 cents. Can I buy five minutes? You know, we're ready to help the whole wide world, but sometimes we forget about our own kids, right? We're ready to go take over everything and 
be the best to everybody and it's our family that usually loses out and that's real rational thinking compared to feelings and I see it going around the world but I think you see it in, in Europe right now. Europe stood at the doors and said wherever you're from we're not even asking just come in and take over our towns and there are people who are like hello we live here mm-hmm. I, I get it I get it you want to be nice but there's a process you want to save the world yeah you got to spend time with your family as well and everyone's like nah America also tried to open its doors and I think it did a little bit and by the way my family's an immigrant family and if they didn't open up their doors I wouldn't be here right now and you got to open your doors but there's a process. It's called rational thinking. You don't just stand at the line and open it up and say, whoever wants to come in, come in. That's crazy. You got to worry about the people that are already in your home. You can't sacrifice them for the people that want to come in. That, by the way, is why Donald Trump is causing so much of a, of a, of a fury over here because people are seeing it. And the, in the EU, the European Union is finally learning it. They're finally learning it right now, realizing that, oh my gosh, we just took in all these migrants you know, there's all these rape stories and all that's going on over there. We can't handle them. And at least now they're realizing they're backtracking and sending a lot of them to Turkey and giving Turkey an incredible amount of money to deal with this. But I think the lesson is, is real. I think the lesson is real. Our feelings really can't take us to where we got to go alone. Our feelings are adorable and I love them. It's, it's sweet and nice. And who wasn't shedding a tear when, you know, Angela Merkel stood up and said, whoever wants to come in, Germany out of all places, whoever wants to come in, our, our doors are open. It was sweet and beautiful and wonderful, and we all loved it. But she's a leader, and leaders need to be rational. You have to be able to use your emotions. You're not utilized by your emotions. And when we use our emotions and we see it, but we ultimately work on our minds, we unplug, we think, we become the best that we can be. And that, that, that applies whether or not you're voting for president or you're, you're, you're running a company or you're a regular person or you're working, you're on the bus, wherever you are, when you use your mind and you work it out like you'd work out a muscle. You get it all. You get all that emotion, but it is focused in the right way. And if you don't, if you allow irrational thinking to take over your actions, you may elect somebody that will ultimately take you down the wrong path, whatever that means. So happy primary. Hope it all works out. You've been listening to The Jay Severin Show. This is Charlie Harari. It's an honor to be with you today. And this is The Great Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.